September 1st. As we turn our attention now to the New Testament, we'll be reading in the book of 2 Corinthians. We know this building is our new body that we'll receive when we see the Lord, because God saves the whole person. We know that. And then we groan. Creation is groaning, and God's people also groan, yearning for the Lord Jesus to come again. We do not want to die and leave our houses. We want these bodies to be clothed with the glory of God from heaven. Paul longed to see Jesus come in his lifetime. And we are confident. God's Word gives us the truth about death and beyond. And God's Spirit guarantees that God's children will go to heaven. We claim this by faith and walk with confidence. And what peace it gives. And we aim to please Him. Paul's spiritual motivations for service include the judgment seat of Christ, the love of Christ, the power of the gospel, and the commission of the Lord. So the question is for you and me, what motivates us to do His will? Well, let's see as we read today in the New Testament. September 1st, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. It is because we... Paul and his co-workers know this solemn fear of the Lord, that we work so hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you Corinthians know this too. Are we trying to pat ourselves on the back again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us, so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart before God. If it seems that we are crazy— It is to bring glory to God, and if we are in our right minds, it is for your benefit. Whatever we do, it is because Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for everyone, we also believe that we have all died to the old life we used to live. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live to please themselves. Instead, they will live to please Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others by what the world thinks about them. Once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, as though He were merely a human being. How differently I think about Him now! What this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore, for the old life is gone. A new life has begun." All this newness of life is from God, who brought us back to Himself through what Christ did. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. This is the wonderful message He has given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors, and God is using us to speak to you. We urge you as though Christ Himself were here pleading with you. Be reconciled to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. James 5.16, this is God telling us to pray. Pray for one another that you may be healed. How many sicknesses are there in the church because they don't pray for each other? That God would be willing to heal. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray without ceasing. 
Luke 22:40, pray that you may not enter into temptation, that you may not enter into temptation. Luke 18:1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Luke 6:28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. You're in a rotten situation, getting ripped off, being lied about, pray, pray, pray for them. Matthew 6, 9, pray like this, our Father in heaven. That's number one. We pray because dozens of times in the Bible, we're told to pray. And God loves us. He wouldn't tell us to do something that's bad for us. It's good for us. Number two, we pray because it is a means to the increase of our joy. Now, you might think, well, that's what we expect you to say. But you expect me to say it because I'm a Christian hedonist. But the case is I'm a Christian hedonist because of texts like this that blew me away 35 years ago. John 16:24. Until now, Jesus said, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I mean, <laughs> ask, ask, because in coming to me as a needy person and depending upon me for everything you need, your joy will be fuller than if you try to get that need met another way. He wants you happy in him. And he says, ask, and your joy will be full. Number three. For why we pray. Because it is simply a staggeringly awesome privilege. It is simply a staggeringly awesome awesome privilege. Now you've got to think of this. We just, we just must be blown away by this. God runs the world with infinite wisdom. You and I never inform him of anything he doesn't already know. We never add to his wisdom, ever. When we pray, we do not improve upon his knowledge about what he should do next. This is really basic. This is who God is. Romans 11:34. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has ever given a gift to him that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Nobody ever counseled him. Nobody ever gave anything to him that he didn't already own. We are never obliging God to act out of his need for us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need your prayer. He doesn't need anything about you. He's God. That's the meaning of God. No needs. We have needs. He's the need meter. And how the need meter gets glory is by hearing the prayers of the needy. And it's simply staggering 
that God would ordain, now get this, that God, the sovereign ruler of the universe, would ordain that prayers cause things. They do. Prayer, prayers cause things to happen that would not happen if you didn't pray. I wonder if any Calvinists out there squirming. Listen to this. When James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask, that does not mean you would have anyway even if you didn't ask because I got a plan. The verse doesn't mean the opposite of what it says. It says you have not because you ask not. That means prayer causes things to happen that wouldn't happen if you didn't pray. This is why this is a staggeringly glorious privilege to be taken by the sovereign God of the universe who runs all things according to his infinite wisdom and folded in to his causality. This is breathtaking. If you do not avail yourself of the privilege of bringing to pass events in the universe that would not take place if you didn't pray, you are acting like a colossal fool. Psalm 45, verses 1 through 17. Written for a royal wedding, this psalm is messianic and shows us Christ, the royal bridegroom. It shows us his beauty. When he was on earth, Jesus had no special beauty that would attract people. It is the beauty of his character, his words, and his works that makes us love him so. Uh, his battles, we'll read about those. He came as Savior, but he was also a warrior and defeated Satan. He conquers today through his people as we yield to him and practice truth, humility, and righteousness. One day, he will come to conquer all the kingdoms of the world. We'll uh, read about his bounties. Who else has an eternal throne, a righteous scepter, gladness, and the fragrance of grace and glory? If you know the king, you share all his bounties. And we'll read about his bride. Now this is a picture of the church, even back here in uh, Psalms. It's a picture of the church and uh, all those who have been saved through faith in Christ. The bridegroom is ready, the attendants are ready, and the bride is brought to the king with rejoicing. What a wedding that will be. Are you eagerly looking forward to being there at the marriage supper of the Lamb? Psalm 45, verses 1 through 17. With the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah, to be sung to the tune, Lilies, a love song. My heart overflows with a beautiful thought. I will recite a lovely poem to the king, for my tongue is like the pen of a skillful poet. 
You are the most handsome of all. Gracious words stream from your lips. God Himself has blessed you forever. Put on your sword, O mighty warrior. You are so glorious, so majestic. In your majesty, ride out to victory, defending truth, humility, and justice. Go forth to perform awe-inspiring deeds. Your arrows are sharp, piercing your enemies' hearts. The nations fall before you, lying down beneath your feet. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your royal power is expressed in justice. You love what is right and hate what is wrong. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. Your robes are perfumed with myrrh, aloes, and cassia. In palaces decorated with ivory, you are entertained by the music of harps. King's daughters are among your concubines. At your right side stands the queen, wearing jewelry of finest gold from Ophir. Listen to me, O royal daughter. Take to heart what I say. Forget your people and your homeland far away. For your royal husband delights in your beauty. Honor him, for he is your lord. The princes of Tyre will shower you with gifts. People of great wealth will entreat your favor. The bride, a princess, waits within her chamber, dressed in a gown woven with gold. In her beautiful robes she is led to the king, accompanied by her bridesmaids. What a joyful, enthusiastic procession as they enter the king's palace. Your sons will become kings like their father. You will make them rulers over many lands. I will bring honor to your name in every generation. Therefore, the nations will praise you forever and ever. Proverbs 22, verse 14. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. Those living under the Lord's displeasure will fall into it.